All right, um, so basically what we're going to be looking at today is we, we're jumping into Acts chapter 9. And, and this is all about Paul's conversion. We're only going to go through 20 verses today, um, which might be done in 30 minutes, if you're hopeful. No, we'll see. But, uh, but anyways, um, we're, we're only going to look at that. So the next few weeks we'll be looking at Paul's conversion. And then Acts chapter 10 all the way through. Uh, man, that's now going to be uh, talking about what we're experiencing right now. It's pretty cool how you'll, you'll start seeing that uh, the church just unfold and we're part of all of that. But in this conversion, Paul, as you guys know, man, he had some, some crazy stuff happen. And, um, uh, and same with other believers at that time. There was a guy named Ananias that had some crazy stuff happen. And as you follow God, there will be crazy stuff happen. How many can testify to that? That there's crazy stuff that goes on, stuff that you would have never dreamed. You're fulfilling stuff on your bucket list that you didn't even know was there, right? Isn't that what's going on? And, uh, and, and it just keeps happening. Just God is placing unusual things in front of you that you don't have the answers for. And, but you know He does, and He wants you to seek Him. And as you seek Him and He shows you the answers and gives you success, whatever He determines that's going to look like, He then wants you to testify to others of what He's done. That's what a witness does in all of this. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two statements, really, that if you walk with God, if you've walked any length of time with God, I know you've made these two statements because He keeps bringing them up in our lives. The first one is, I was wrong. Anybody here have a hard time saying that? All right, we're going to practice that. It, uh, oh, I'm looking at lots of husbands and wives looking at each other. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching at anybody today, but I'm just saying, uh, I was wrong. If we have a hard time saying that to each other, man, don't you think we have a hard time saying that to God? So let's practice together, okay? Are you ready? I was wrong. Man, so, oh yeah, some of you are like, your mouth doesn't even go that way. Wrong! Right. You know, I was what? And But Paul, to be converted, had to come to the point to say, I was wrong. And Paul was pretty serious about what Paul was doing, buddy. We're going to see this. Paul was very convinced that he was right. But at, when God shows you that you're not right, you are wrong. wrong. And that's what's got to happen in our lives. If we're walking down the wrong path, then, and we think it's the right path. Which path is it? It's the wrong path. Even if we think it's the right path, even if we've got a whole bunch of people following us down this path, it's still the what path? It's the wrong path. And we're not on the right path until we turn and start heading towards Him. And that is the right path. And that's the definition of repentance. So Paul's got to come to the point to say, I was wrong. And the bigger your mouth is, how many of y'all got a big mouth? Anybody here? <coughs> the bigger your mouth is, the more you stand up for stuff and blah, 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 blah. more you like profess something is right, the harder it is when you find out that you were wrong. Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Isn't it so hard to swallow our pride, to eat our words, to eat humble pie, to eat... How many little cliches do we have about it? Because we're all there. And we're going to see Paul eat the biggest slice of humble pie that anyone's ever eaten in his life. All right? In all of this. But then God asked this other guy, Ananias, to do something just off the wall. So the first thing is, I was wrong. But how many of y'all have ever been confronted by God? You've been in prayer with God. You've been following God. And God tells you something or tells you to do something. 
And you respond back by saying, that ain't right. <laughs> Anybody? God asked you to do something. It wasn't what was on your agenda. And you're like, that ain't right. So we're going to learn about somebody who had to say, I was wrong. But now somebody else who had to say, that ain't right. Has God ever given you direction and you thought, man, no, that can't be. That my logic is going to keep me from obedience. How about that? Has your logic ever kept you from obeying? Has your logic, how about your friend's logic and all your counsel's logic, all your family's logic? No, you can't do that. It's You can't do that. You can't. You have to do it. But whatever God says is right. And so the two statements we're going to see here, the first one is, I was wrong. And the other one is when we're praying and God tells us to do something, we're like, that ain't right. But it is. That isn't right, but it is. And so often, man, that's even harder than admitting we're wrong. When God's telling us to do something, we just don't want to believe that's God. We don't want to believe that's right, but we know it is. In our heart, we know the right thing. But man, it's so complicated for me to pull off what God's asking me to pull off. God, I don't think you understand all my circumstances. I don't think you understand what's going to happen here and what's going to happen here. And God, who knows what's going to happen here? God, that ain't right. And I'm going to keep praying until you really show me. You remember a guy named Gideon? And God told him, hey, I want you to go, 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 go take over the, you know, whoop the biggest army. And Gideon is just a farmer down in a wine press hiding threshing, you know, the, the wheat, basically, because he's afraid of the big army coming. That's what they would do is come and take all of the harvest and nobody got to eat. So he's a scaredy cat farmer down there. And God says, I want to make you a mighty warrior. And I want to make you go get this big army out of Israel. And Gideon's like, that ain't right. <laughs> uh, you got the wrong guy, God. You got the wrong, that ain't right. And he's like, God comes to him again. And he says, that ain't right, God. And in his heart, he knows it is, right? And so what does Gideon, what does Gideon do? <clears throat> you remember he's got a fleece? And you go read the story about Gideon, man. He throws it. He says, all right, God. And I'll, I might get this all out of order because this is off the cuff. I wouldn't prepare for this one. But the idea is this. He throws out a fleece of, of the, and it's raining. And he says, okay, if I'm really supposed to do this in the midst of all the dew and rain, make this one dry. So what's it? he wakes up the next morning and guess what? It's what? Dry. That ain't right. <laughs> Have you ever had God throw you a fleece? God has just flat, flat out told you, this is what I want you to do. But in your heart, you're like, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. I know it's right, but I'm not doing it. No, it's not right. All right. So this time it's going to be dry. When I wake up, you know what, God? I want this fleece to be wet. You prove it to me by making it wet, then I'll go do it, right? So guess what? Next day, guess what it was? It was wet. God's like, what do I have to do to communicate to you? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about in your own life? Where God tells you to do something, you're like, that ain't right. I'm not going to do it. That's not right. It's not right. But you know it is. And you're like, all right, if you really just prove it to me. Anybody ever say that to God? Yeah. And God's up there going, do you really want me to hit you in the head with a chair? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but what happens when God finally gets our attention? We finally surrender and we do it. How many of you have actually done it and then later said, wow, what was I so afraid of? So the two questions that we're going to see in these two or these two statements in these guys' lives are pertinent to our life. And if you follow God for any length of time, you're going to have these questions or these statements over and over and over again. The first one is, help me out. I was wrong. Man, you know what? Practically speaking, we are perfect. Because when God looks down on us, the blood of Jesus covers us. 
And it's his favorite thing. It's the perfect sacrifice. So regardless of our past, present, and future sins, we're perfect. When God looks down, when we die, whatever, man, we got that cover in our lives, we go to heaven. We're perfect there, but practically speaking, we are so far from perfect. How many of y'all have achieved perfection? Is there anybody here? Put your hand up, please. So I, all right. Yeah. Yeah. You did that last time I was here. Right. But see, you just lied just now, so you are not perfect. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and thanks for playing along, Al. Forgive me, because no one else was raising their hand, right? I'm really... Positionally, you are perfect, but practically speaking, we'll just let your wife start a laundry list right now. How about that? All right, because <laughs> every one of our wives or you know, significant others can do that on us. All right, so, so the first one is, I am wrong. I am wrong. <laughs> and the second statement in all of this is, this ain't right, <laughs> but it is. Got to finish it with the last part, say, that ain't right. But it is. All right, ready? Get everybody together on that one? They're the same. Right. But it is. And both of those statements you're going to go through a million times in your walk with Christ until you get to heaven. So let's see these in action here. All right, look at verse 1. It says, Then Saul, this is the dude who ends up being the Apostle Paul, but he's Saul right now. And uh, it says, He is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest. Now, check this out. This guy saw, last time we saw him, Stephen was getting, mur uh, getting um, uh, executed. Stephen was getting murdered. He was getting stoned. And Paul, as a Pharisee, as a, a leader in the church, as a young up-and-coming man that basically had been schooled by, by the prominent rabbis, and I mean, he was encouraging them. That's what we saw last. Like, yes, sir, you go get him, man. Throw bigger rocks here. Let me have your cloak. Put your cloaks. They put their cloaks around Stephen's feet so they could throw the rocks even better and nail Stephen. And Paul was there cheering them on. And after Stephen was assassinated, after Stephen was stoned to death, now Paul, we know from a few chapter, a few or last chapter, Paul saying, go get them, guys. You go get them. We got, and momentum started building. And now the people had courage because Paul, as a vibrant leader, charismatic leader, was encouraging them to go stone the Christians. And get rid of this movement of following Christ and let's get back to temple worship and get back to the you know peace we've had with the Romans. Let's get rid of these troublemakers. And Paul had every scripture in the Old Testament to back it up, man. Paul thought if, if, if he was right above all other people. He was right. There's no way I'm wrong. And he's looking in their mind. He's thinking, what kind of Messiah would it be that God would send that would allow himself to get killed on a cross, and you guys are now following just, man, no, this is wrong. I am right. Anybody here ever been, I am right? You ever been so right there's no way you could be wrong? Isn't that what every fight in your marriage is? You're right, you're right. That's every one of us. And the Bible says that only by pride comes contention and strife. It's only by pride. Pride is where I am right. And it's one thing for two humans to duke it out and say, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm... You know what? In marriage, both y'all are right. Because both y'all... It, it's not your way, not your way. It's y'all's way. That's the way it works in a relationship. But with God, it's not that way. God is right, and I am... If there's a discrepancy. What does it say in 1 John 1.9? He says, if we confess our sins, 
Help me out. Anybody know this verse? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that word confess means in the Greek? It means to agree. So confession is this. Not, it's not this. It's not saying, God, you know how difficult He is to live with. You know if He wouldn't have done this and provoked me, I wouldn't have done this. So I'm wrong for losing my temper. But nay! That's not confession. Confession is, God, I'm wrong. You're right. No ifs, ands, or buts. No qualifying marks with it. No, I was provoked beyond belief. I'm wrong and you're right. That's confession. And it's the same thing with him when he brings a conviction to our heart. You know, when he brings conviction to you, it's kind of like if you, you got, anybody here got soft hands, man? You know, you got soft hands and, and yeah, that's what you specialize, making people's hands and feet soft. That's why I let you stay kind of away from my feet sometimes. You take care of all the cracks and stuff, but man, I don't need these feet being tender, you know. All right, I, I work on them. But man, when you got soft hands and you grab a shovel for the first time to do your spring gardening, what's the first thing? It starts feeling a little hot right there and the skin gets puffy. What's that called? That's called a blister. That's called a blister, and it's letting you know, my hands do not like these shovels. <laughs> All right? <laughs> this is something you shouldn't be doing. Okay? And it, so if you quit, the blister would heal and it would go away, right? But what happens if we keep doing that thing that maybe we, or your body's telling you you shouldn't be doing? What happens? It turns into a what? You get a callus. You get a callus. And then the callus forms, and you don't even feel that shovel anymore. Right? Happens in baseball, doesn't it? When you're batting and batting and batting, man, you start to get, you wear gloves and they wear poles, all that. Same thing. But that's what happens to us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hits us up and the Holy Spirit starts rubbing a little raw and saying, this, this is, you know, wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And you're like, no, I'm not wrong. And if you keep resisting it, you will be hearing bells that really aren't even existing. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. No, I'm joking. It's Marilyn's phone. That's all right. I'm like family here. It's all good. Did you just smash it? Imagine there's a big church, man, and everybody's looking at the balcony at you. But anyway, we're just family, man. That's all good. I love you, Marilyn. But not as much as Jesus loves you. All right, but... Man, that's what happens. We get the Holy Spirit starts giving us a little blister. And we got two choices. We can say, I am wrong, which we don't like to say. Or we can justify and say, oh, well, maybe not as, I'm not really wrong. And we can justify a way of how it all happened and well, it all went down. And, and we feel better about ourselves. We'd have to say we're wrong, though, right? We'd have to say that. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit keeps speaking, keeps speaking, keeps speaking. And the more we blow the Holy Spirit's conviction off, the more we build up a callus until we don't even hear him anymore. People say, how can someone live like that and they profess to be a Christian? Well, you know what? They've gotten pretty good at blowing off the Holy Spirit. And they built up calluses and they don't hear him anymore. They don't feel him anymore. It's not until we... Go get that pedicure, manicure, the heavenly manicure, and they rip those calluses off. They pumice stone them down. The Holy Spirit goes through a process, and we have revival that now our hearts are tender again. And we start feeling every little thing that God now is speaking to us about. Man, isn't that the way we want to be? But it starts by every time the Holy Spirit brings conviction, we say, I am wrong. We've got to get good at that. Because none of us are perfect. Why do we have such a hard time? You would think we'd be really good at saying I'm wrong, don't you? Because how many of y'all were wrong already once today? 
<laughs> All right, how many know somebody that was wrong today that's here? All right. <laughs> how many times were you wrong yesterday? And he's like, yeah, I've been wrong in about three days, man. You know, I was like, no, then you really, really, really need to go get that spiritual pedicure, all right? Or manicure, all right? But in that, man, it starts by us just saying I'm wrong. So Paul thought he was right, and God was going to have to rub him raw to make him know he was wrong. And so look what happens. Saul is now egging everybody on. He's got a movement going on. And look what it says. Saul, look at this word, still breathing threats and murder. What does it mean to breathe threats and murder? Oh, my goodness. Every breath he had was dedicated to murdering the Christians. Every breath he had, every thought he had, every word that came out of his mouth with the breath. Man, it was there to get rid of the Christians. He was obsessed with this. God, what a way, great way to describe where he was. So he thought he was right, and there was no way he was going to be wrong. Every breath was a threat and a, to murder. Murder! It was not coming in here and saying, okay, we're going to stop you guys from worshiping. We're going we're gonna, to like fine you. We're going to do that. No, dude, murder! That's what he was doing, getting families and bringing them in jail and then murdering them. And he was quite successful at it. And it was murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, that's not the 12 apostles. That's all the disciples who had given their life to Christ. And so this guy, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters to, uh, from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were in the way whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's the idea. You remember Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem. And then up in Samaria, there was revival going on. We've been hearing about that in the last few weeks. And then up here is Samaria, or is uh, Syria. Syria, the place that's in the news right now, right? Damascus, that's where all of that was, up in the northeast, up in there. And the gospel had spread through persecution all up in that area so much that Paul said, I better go take care of this. It's like a wildfire. It's a hot spot. I'm going to put it out before it gets flaming and gets it. But he was just a little bit late and God had other plans. So he figured I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll go to the high priest, which was basically like the Jewish governor, so to speak. I'll get letters so that I can rip these people out of church that, uh, whenever they're there, and I can bring them back. We can try them, and they're already guilty, obviously, and we can put them to death. That was the game plan where Paul was. He was moving like a wildfire in destroying Christianity as far as he was concerned. But God said that wasn't going to happen. Look at those. It says, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. So, Check this out. He leaves Jerusalem, and he's like, ah, breathing murder, breathing. Have you ever been there where you have been so mad? Come on, man. Have you ever been so mad, so angry, that you were just obsessed? Like Jack, when you had that turkey from me to you, and you just, like, blew it. You missed it. You were so mad. No, I don't know. You did that. You did get a nice turkey. Was that Osceola? Yeah. Sweet. That's beautiful. But have you ever been so mad? And your anger so angry that all you could just think of is one thing. Adam, you've never been there, have you? <laughs> you have. I can tell by that laugh, right? We've all been there. We can't think about anything else. There he is. And now, as he's leaving Jerusalem, I'm taking care of this. I'm tired of this. Man, we're going to fix it for God. God hates what's going on. And then he goes through Samaria. And he sees revival going on Samaria. Oh, after I get done there, I'm coming back here. 
Man, he's like Rambo, dude. He's getting ready to just blow everybody away and take care of Christianity. As he journeyed, he is so ticked. He is so upset. Man, what is God going to have to do to get this guy's attention? What is he going to have to do to get his attention? Let me ask you a question. Can God get his attention? Absolutely, man. I don't care how mad, how ticked, how distracted you are. God can get your attention. But let me ask you a question. Could Paul, could Paul have resisted it? Now, I think God gave him a desire. He gave, he, God did what it took to get his attention. I, I, do you think God tried to get his attention before that? And he just wasn't hearing it? So if God's trying to get your attention right now for something, and you're still having a hard time saying I'm wrong, or this ain't right, and I'm not doing it, do you think if God really wants your attention, he can go a little bit further and a little bit further? Wouldn't it make sense to just do it now? Wouldn't that make sense? But we are stupid, stubborn human beings. So much so, in Scripture, he calls us sheep. <laughs> if you ever want to really be insulted, go hang out with sheep and find out what he's comparing you to. But that's us! So that's Paul, man, he's ticked going through Damascus. Suddenly, a light shone around from heaven. Now, this conversion is, all, is one of the only, it's the only conversion that's actually covered in three areas. We're going to see it two more times in the book of Acts. And we know at this time it was mid-noon. It was noon, 12 noon, high noon. It was sunny. But there was a light, a supernatural light that shone around him from heaven. Boom, man. It could have been a lightning bolt, man. <laughs> it, it, was, it was Shekinah glory in this. And then it was so powerful. Look at verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, man, he got hit with a light. He fell to the ground. We know that uh, he understood what the voice was saying. But from other uh, renditions of this in Acts that we'll look at later, we'll find out that the guys around him only saw the light. They only heard voices. They had no clue God was speaking directly to him, even though everybody could see what was all going on right there. But look what God says to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let me ask you a question. Who was he persecuting? Yeah, Jesus was dead already. Okay? Jesus, was he physically persecuting Jesus? It's a trick question. He, Jesus was already in heaven, or he thought Jesus was dead. Who did he think he was persecuting? The ones who believed in him, right? Took Laura's family and took them all and burned them. Took your family and, and, and killed them. And stoned these guys and stoned these guys. So he thought he was going after individuals. These people who had it all wrong. But what does that say about us in our relationship with Christ? When somebody persecutes you, who are they persecuting? Him. Dude, all you are is his witness. You're his representative. And you just try the best you can to be that representative. Are you screw up? Yes. Because we're always going to have to say, I was wrong. Yes. Daily. I guarantee you daily. Hey, JJ could actually say that daily. I was wrong. Could JJ say that daily? Yeah, you could show and help him, right? How many of y'all could help somebody else say that they were wrong? Yeah. How many of you would say, I would love for someone to help me say I'm wrong? That was one of the best things you can do in a relationship is give someone the permission to do that. And let me know when I'm wrong. Because guess what? We have blind spots, don't we? And a blind spot means it's something, a spot we can't what? We can't see. But someone else can. 
And boy, what an awesome thing if you give someone else the permission. Now you're like, I ain't doing that. Dude, they're just going to beat me up, man. They're, but we feel the same way about God. But God just wants to cure things. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look what happens next in this. He said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I'd like to read it that way. It's like, Lord, who are you? It wasn't like, or who are you? Who do you think you are? That, it wasn't that. It was like one of the most important questions you're ever going to ask in your life. Who are you, Lord? The dude is laying on the ground at 12 noon, been blinded by a light. He hears voices speaking to him. That's a godly voice. What happens when anybody ever sees an angel? What do they say? And they fall. So, man, this is the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's down there and he's like, who are you, Lord? I thought I was serving you. I thought I was doing you the right thing. I thought, dude, I'm doing this for you because I love you, God. God says, yeah, I know you love me, but I'm going to reveal myself to you so you can love me the way I love. So who are you, Lord? Then look at the next question. The Lord said, or we'll look at what Jesus said. I am Jesus. So there's no doubt about who this is. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what these goads are, um, they would have long, sharp sticks, and they would poke the cattle, poke the sheep with these sticks to get them to go. Has God ever had to, like, poke you with a little stick to give you a little incentive, a little encouragement? Get going! But I don't know if that's you! <laughs> right? It's like God, he, he's poking. And he's saying, Paul, I've been not only poking you, but you're... You're kicking against these pointed things. You are so bullheaded. You are so stubborn. You are so thinking. You are so right that I've been, I'm not able to get in your head and convince you of anything else. You need to soften your heart and listen. Quit kicking against the very things I'm trying to use to direct you down the right path. Man, if God's speaking to you today, listen. Because I know this week as I've been studying, man, he's been speaking to me. He said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. You're not persecuting these people. You're persecuting me because I live inside these folks. It's hard for you to kick against these goats. Yeah, how much longer do you think you can re resist me, Paul is saying, or Jesus is saying. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, the dude who thought he was right, said, look at this. Read this with me in the front, these quotes. Lord, that's when you know he's got you. That's when you know you're good with him is when you can truly say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, if he tells you like, oh, no, that can't be right. No, wait, wait, no, it's got to be something else. No, but when you really are where Paul's at, where you can say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you are willing to do whatever he wants you to do. How many of you ever been to that point before? Man, that's where he wants you. And we, while we're on this earth, we stray and we, we veer off that path. But that's where we've always got to be. By being willing to say, God, I am wrong and you are right. And when God does tell us something off the wall, not saying to him that, uh, sorry, I'm ADD and he's like messing with my head right now. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> All right. All right, so trembling and such, Lord, what do you want me to do? Man, that's where we got to be. What do you want me to do? And um, then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And you're going to hang out with these guys for three years. You're going to get training. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be shipwrecked. They're going to try to kill you numerous times. But I'm going to use you to write more than half of the New Testament, and you're going to start churches all over. Is that what God told him? 
No, because what would have happened if he told them everything he was going to have them do? Yeah, he'd probably say, yeah. <laughs> he'd have been with the next guy saying, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> All right, let's keep killing Christians at that point. Uh, he would have, no way, I'm waiting for real instructions. But look how God works with him. It's the same way he works with me and you. The Lord said to him, arise. So what's he got to do? Get up. You can't lay here forever, even though you're blind. <laughs> you know, even though even though you, you you just been knocked out by the that that's a slaying of the Holy Spirit right there. I'm telling you. you. Now that you've been just laid out right here, he said, I want you to get up, and now I want you to go into the city. That's your next step. Now Paul didn't say, Well, now what are we going to do in the city? Where am I going to go? How long am I going to stay there? You know, I got things to do. I got people. He wasn't trying to figure out the whole game plan. When you get ready to surrender to God, you're just going for the next step. And God has put every one of us in that position at different times where we don't care about all these other plans. We're just looking at the next step that he wants to bring us to. So all Paul was doing is like, I'm going to need help because he can't see. And so he said, so look what happens. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Why? Because he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So Paul, totally blind. Man, Paul came in thinking he was Rambo. Now he's coming in like three blind mice. Man, I mean, I'm just saying, he's like just a little critter that's dependent on everyone. And so he, they're, they're holding him, they're bringing him into Damascus, but he's ready to surrender. He's only got the next step, but there he is, he's going. And look what happens. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So let me ask you a question. Uh, what was he doing for three days? Right. Yeah, yeah. You read ahead in the scripture, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> we go ahead blow it. No, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, you're right. He was praying. I mean, imagine God, you thought you were right and you were on a mission for God. All of a sudden, he knocks you down, tells you you're persecuting him, and now you're blind. And for three days, you got a little bit of time to hang out with God, don't you? You know, I heard a few things. Uh, Timothy or uh, Thomas, you were talking about, man, how you hurt your back and you, you, you were laying there. and You had no, basically, only place you could look was up. I, I heard Ellie talk about having hitting rock bottom. I heard both y'all talking about rock bottom. And rock bottom means different things for different people. Everybody's got a different rock bottom. But what happens is God has to somehow get our attention where we've got no one to turn to but him. That's why it's called rock bottom. Exactly. At the bottom, we only have our rock. That's it. Exactly. And it, all you can do is turn to him. He's got your full attention. And so for three days, can you imagine? What would you be doing for three days and you're blind? And you're freaked out for three days, man. You got this beautiful view on the river. And you got this pad of three days, you're blind. First of all, would you uh, acknowledge this is a God? Yeah. But for three days, how many of y'all would be like, okay, I need y'all to come over and help me find an optometrist. I need to find a brain surgeon. I need to find a psychiatrist. I need to find this. I need to find that. I need to find, dude, I heard this drug that I saw. Oh, forget about all the side effects on it. But if I take this, I'll get my sight back, you know. How many of y'all will be looking for solutions in three days? Man-made solutions in three days. Or at least give them a shot the first day. But Paul, man, he knew where it was coming from. He knew the only one who could heal him in this. And he took three days and he made the most of it. Man, I'm just telling you, when you do hit rock bottom, not your next alternative, but your first solution, your first alternative, is just submit yourself to him. 
fall before his face, fall before him on your face. And so for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drink, uh, or drank. And we already find out that he prayed for those times. But look at verse 10, okay? This is the next section in here. So the first section in this, Paul had to come to the point to be able to say what we have a hard time saying, and that is, help me out. And what are the chances we're going to have to say that today? Hey, Milt, is there even a chance Susie's going to have to say that today? Oh, I should not put you in that position, should I? Susie, do you think Milt will have to say that today? Of course. Of course. Every one of us will have to if my wife was down here, I'd ask too, because yeah, I'm going to probably say it a bunch of times today. I'm just, I'm just messing up. I should just like make a bank account. I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There, that's done. Just pull them out, right? But we're going to have to say that today. So remember those words. There's nothing wrong with it, man. It's all right when you have to say you're wrong. But now look at this next guy. This next guy is like, what are you thinking, God? <laughs> or, or, this can't be right, but I know in my heart it is. It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Um, and to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, yes, here I am, Lord. Who does that sound like in the Old Testament? Who's a cute little priest boy, you know, who's hearing from the Lord? He says, yes, here I am, Lord. Samuel, right? I mean, everybody, isn't that the greatest thing you can answer back to God when God says, hey, he calls your name? Here I am, God. Here I am, ready to do whatever you want. Yes, I'm ready. Anybody ever there? You're like, God, give me a job today. God, I love you so much. I want to do what you want me to do. God, here I am. And you're so excited until you get the job. <laughs> Watch this guy, man. So the Lord said to him, Ananias, oh, I'm so glad you're excited and you're ready for a job for me. Oh, because I got one for you, baby. And you're going to have to trust me for this. He said, I want you to arise and go to the street called Straight Nice. Yep, I know where it's at. I don't even need GPS. I'm there, God. All right, what do you want me to do? You want me to preach? You want me to serve tables? What do you want me to do, God? He said, no, no, dude. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to inquire at the house of Jews. I know where he's at. I know that guy. And you're going to let me lead him to the Lord because, yeah, I hear he's not converted yet. And he's, his heart's coming to, to Jesus, man. And, yeah, God, I got it. I got it. I got it. He said, all right, good. Glad you got it so far. He says, now, when you get to Judas's house, I want you to go for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's what doing what, EJ? Praying. He's praying. So let me make this like modern to you. Let's just say that in your condo, who here lives in, oh, Nettles Island, okay? Let's just say in Nettles Island, they find a little like um, ISIS pod, okay? I mean, a hardcore ISIS pod, they're, they're going to blow up the, you know, the nuclear power plant. They got eyes on all the airports. They, they've got numerous things they're going to do, all right? And, and it's already there. They've already got, like, orders from Syria or wherever, Iran, that they're going to do all of this. And it's, it's open, and, and there they are. And now God says, Ann, I want you to go over to the ISIS pod. <laughs> hey, over in Fort Pierce, I want you to go over on Avenue D, and there's an ISIS pod, and I want you to go there. Hey, I want you two to take your little... RV, and I want you to drive to Vero Beach, and there's an ISIS pod, all right? Go share the gospel with them. How many of y'all be like, are you crazy? I mean, right now, we may have a little holy boldness and say, oh, yeah, dude, I'd go. How many of y'all are feeling, like, pretty strong? Yeah, dude, give me an ISIS pod. Come on, let me see your hands. I'm going to pray for an ISIS pod for you. Let me see your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Man, God, I want to do whatever you want me. I've never worshipped you like this. Never loved you like this. And he gives you the job and you're like, that can't be right. 
But in my heart, I know it is. Oh, it's hard. He said, yeah, that's why I gave it to you. Because you're trusting in me, and you know you can't do it. You're just going to have to trust me. And I'm going to show other people what trusting in me looks like through you. Mm-hmm. you hear that? That's why God's doing it. He said, I'm going to show you, other people, what trusting in me looks like through you. How many of y'all recently got a job you didn't sign up for? <laughs> Every one of us have. But that's the reason God gave it to us. So he had a choice. He could have been praying more. Uh, he said, well, Saul's praying. When he gets done praying, we'll have a little talk, all right? I don't want to disturb him. He's praying. So I'm going to pray more. God, okay, God, I know what you said, but I think I misheard you. You told me to go see Saul of Tarsus. Because what was Saul of Tarsus? What did they know he was coming to do? Kill murder. Yeah. They already sent people from Jerusalem already up there to tell them, man, dude, they're going to, they're coming. Saul's coming with an army and they're going to kill you guys. They got papers from the high priests. They're taking you back. That was, they, you know, Ananias like, dude, this is a suicide mission. Why do I want to do this? It was only a suicide mission in the flesh when he didn't see it from God's perspective. And any job God gives us is a suicide mission if we do it in the flesh. Because the wages of sin is death. Something dies when we sin, man. Whether it be our relationship with him or the very joy that he wanted to give you through doing something so supernatural only he could get blamed for. Through you. So here, man, he says, go see Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he's praying. So you think it took some great faith for him to respond in a positive way? We'll see what happens. And in a vision, God even tells him a little bit more. He said, this man, Saul, he's seen a man named Ananias coming. Because what was Ananias saying? Oh, dude, this guy over here would be so much better and effective at wit- to witness the ball than me. Oh, my goodness. This guy, call Pastor Eddie to go over there, not me. You'd call me, text me, hey, Pastor Eddie, there's this guy I met. Can you please go over and share the gospel with him? You know, you'd be so much better than me at it. But God already said, no, 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 man. Ananias, I already showed him a dude named Ananias looks just like you. It's coming. <laughs> and so he said he's going to come in and put his hand on him. I'm going to have you put your hand on him so that he may receive his sight. And Ananias is great so he can see who he's killing now. <laughs> you know, I'm going to give him his sight so now he can like really round us off right now. Let's just keep him blind, God. Let's keep this ISIS pod subdued and blind and weaponless right now. Let's keep it this way. But God had other plans. And God said, no, I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to heal him. So let me ask you a question. Just think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit right now, who's your biggest enemy? I don't want you to shout it out to me. I just want you to think, who do you think your biggest enemy is in the flesh? Who do you, who do you worry about? What do you worry about more than anything? Maybe it's not a person, it's an institution. Maybe it's possessions. I don't know what it is, but what's your biggest enemy in this world? What if it is a person and God wanted that person saved? Are you like Jonah right now? Say, I don't want those Assyrians saved. Don't send me to go. Dude, they have hurt me so bad. I don't want them to receive the gospel and have eternal life. I don't want to hang out in heaven with those people. Well, <laughs> you do if they're born again. And that's what God's looking here to do, man. And Ananias really was kind of feeling, I should let this guy kind of just be, he deserves what he got. This is punishment on him. God said, no, no, I got another plan for all of this. Ananias said, okay, Lord, I sure I heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. God, he's going to come here to kill us. Don't ask you a question. Did God already know that? Have you ever given God information that he already knows <laughs> in your prayers? Now, God, I'm not sure if you realize this, but, you know, they're really, you know, this is how I think it's going to work out. You know how, you know, my level is with yours, God, you know, so you ever give God information? <laughs> Does he really need that? <laughs> he doesn't. But some, and that's how we get in trouble is when our logic overrules our obedience. You ever talked yourself out of doing something wise? I mean, if you ever talk yourself out of doing something stupid, that's good. But if you ever talk yourself out of doing something wise, man, Ananias is on the verge of, he's trying. He's saying, man, God, God you know all this, right? But the Lord said to him, go. <laughs> so did God say, go? And this guy, he's going to do all this, 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 this. He's going to write all the New Testament. He's going to do this. And he's going to suffer. You know, God didn't tell him all the big plans. God just said, go. He does give him a little detail. We're going to see this in much more detail. It says, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. Dude, who else is there? <laughs> he said, man, this guy is going to reach people like no one has ever reached him for me. And I will show him. You let me show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And you're going to see that the Apostle Paul, he knew in his calling in his life that he was going to suffer more than anybody else. You're going to be amazed when you read of all the things he went through and he kept going. But he knew that his life was only just a little bitty, tiny bit of time compared to eternity. He said, I'll show him all of that. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. So how many of y'all would say, dude, that's me? I hope so. That's me. I'm an Ananias. So right now God's told me to do something. I've been saying, are you sure? Are you sure? But today I think God's kind of telling me this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to say I'm wrong. I need to say, all right, God, I submit. And now you're going to be an Ananias and you're going to go and do what he's asked you to do. I hope that's you. That's where I'm taking this. But look what happened. He went, entered the house, and laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. Okay? Is that where it ends? Because if he just receives his sight, um, then, yeah. I mean, Paul wasn't needing the sight. If he just received the sight, then then he's now just the same person he was when he was on the road, right? Okay. Something's got to change, doesn't it? Yes. If you just receive your sight, you just get the physical healing, That then, you know what, what's to say he doesn't just say, oh, now I'm ready to go back and do, God did this, now I'm ready to, to, to say I'm supposed to kill all the Christians, now let's do it. But look what he received, and this is what you got to receive when you're born again that makes you a different person. There's so many people that get something fixed in their life. God said, didn't you ever make deals with God? God, if you do this, I will do this. I'll never forget, and I'll tell you this story. In 1987, uh, I was down in the Keys, and I, had, I wasn't born again yet, and I had a, had a job where I was driving these, this hotshot rig with all these bass boats, little bass boats, little paddle boats and kayaks and canoes and stuff, trying to sell them all up and down the coast. I had left St. Augustine at 3 in the morning, sold boats all the way down the coast. I'm down in the Keys getting a hotel room so that I could go the rest of the Keys the next morning and then go all the way up to Tampa by the next day. Then the next day, take Tampa all the way back up the Big Bend, come over to Jacksonville where I was working out of. And I got there that first day and I am dog tired. 
I went to a little little hotel somewhere near Isla Morada, man. What, remember those little jealousy window roach motels they used to have? That I wish those were still there, but now they're all condos. But anyways, man, I went in one of those, checked in. I'm like, all right, there was a little restaurant there. And dude, I remember going to the restaurant and I ordered me some fish and then some fries. And I'll never forget, I wasn't married at the time and I, I didn't have all of this. I was actually, you know, you know when your kids look at your pictures when you're older and say, hey, what happened to you? You know, that was me back then. And this waitress, cute little waitress goes, oh, you could use a Heineken. Remember that commercial? Yeah. You look like you could use a Heineken. And I'm like, no, ma'am, I don't drink anymore, man. Because I already cut a deal. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm just not drinking anymore because as you can tell by my personality, I don't do anything except to extremes. Okay? That's it. I got no, I got one gear. It's extreme. That's it. And I'm not telling you about drinking, not drinking, all this. I'll say, I don't know, the Bible says anything about drinking, but it does say about getting drunk, and that's not me. And I can't do that anymore. And man, there I was. And um, she said, dude, look at you, Heineken. I'm like, nope, drinking water, drinking water, eating my fish. Next thing I know, she's bringing me a Heineken. I'm like, I don't want it. Oh, but those girls at the bar bought it for you. And I'm like, all right, because I ain't a eunuch, you know, and it's like, so, so, like, all right, just one, that ain't gonna hurt nothing. Well, for me, again, because I'm an extreme person, there was another one coming and another one coming. Next thing I remember, man, I'm going back to my, I'm going back to my hotel room. This is one of the last things I even remember, and I'm grabbing my bag of weed, and we're going to another place, and I'm just so wasted out of my mind don't even know what's going on. I'm driving the company truck that somehow I managed to take the trailer off of, thank God. And I'm driving it, and next thing I know, I wake up in the morning in a totally green jail cell in Isla Mirada, Florida. And there were six Haitians there that just got busted for pulling up illegally in a raft or something. And I'm there, and I'm under a mattress. How I got there, I don't even know, man. I get out from the mattress, and I'm like, what the heck's going on? And like I saw in Andy Griffith many times with Otis, I grab him and I start going, hey, I'm late for work. I'd never been arrested before. I didn't know. And I'm like trying to make noise on the bar, the jail cell. And I'm like, I, I got to go to work. And the guy there's like, you ain't going nowhere. Do you see the judge, son? I'm like, no, but I'm going to be in trouble. He said, you're already in trouble. And I got a DUI. I got a DUI, man. And, 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 and. In that process, that's how God started things with me. And I made a deal with God after that deal. I said, I will go to church. I will go to church every Sunday. You get me out of this DUI. And I started going to church. Started going back to Catholic church where I'd grown up in St. Augustine. I started going there. And, 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 and guess what? When you make deals with God, you're, you don't keep your <laughs> You know, he starts making it more favorable, more favorable. I start gaining my sight. I start gaining freedom, light at the end of the tunnel. And guess what I do? I go back to my old ways. That's what happens if you're not born again. You just have reformation where you reform your life. All you do is try to change physically. You change mentally and emotionally. You try to just change your lifestyle. It doesn't last. That's why it was more important for Paul. He could have stayed blind and done everything you do. But the last part was... Look, read with me those last part. He is filled. That's what happens when you're born again. And that was in 1987 when all that's going down. And it was Christmas 87 that I actually moved back in with my dad. And I got the first Bible ever. And that's when I told God, God, if you can salvage anything out of my life, it is yours. 
where's this Bible been my whole life? And I've had it, but now I wanted to know it. And now I was like, I'm wrong. You're right. Whatever you want, God, it's yours. And he said, I want you to be a preacher. And you've heard this before. I want you to be a preacher. I'm like, I can't be like those guys on TV. He said, I don't want you to be like them. I say, God, you don't remember when I used to get up in high school and say, Brother Ed's Bible Revival Hour. And I'd make fun of preachers. He's like, I remember that. You're good at it. Let's do this, you. And I'm like, God, I don't know how to do this. He's like, you just follow me. He said, you know those remoras? You know those fish that just got a weird looking head? I'm going to give you one. I'm like, oh, awesome. No, it's called faith. And I'm going to be the big shark. And you stay stuck to me. And as long as you stay stuck to me, I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to give you direction. And I'm going to give you everything you need. And man, that's because I'm born again. I have that head. I have the desire. And I have the ability to stay stuck to him. If you're in a point right now where you're just cutting deals with God, cut it out. It's not going to work. Surrender to him. You can trust him with everything. I never dreamed I'd have a 23-year-old, 4-year-old daughter, and it's her birthday, and she's leading worship in the ministry that God called, asked us to start. Man, I never dreamed I'd get a pastor you folks. <laughs> never dreamed any of this would happen. Had no idea, and you just take it one step at a time, and the first step is surrender. I'm wrong, you're right. And if you mess up, just get back on it. I'm wrong, you're right. And when he says do it, say yeah. <laughs> just go for it. But it takes not just getting your sight back, not just having your problem fixed, not just getting the problem fixed. Because if God didn't get your attention to that problem and he fixes it, guess what's coming next? What's coming next? The next thing. The important thing is not our problem fixed. It's to understand what God's communicating to us. Because if that didn't get our attention, something else will. I guarantee you. The important things you be filled with the Holy Spirit and say, God, however you want to work this out, I'm following you. I'm that remora and you're the shark. We're almost done here. We started like two. So <laughs> so look what happened. And this is what happens when you give your life to Christ. Look what he says. What's that next word? Immediately. Yeah. Now, does God make you do a little trial probation period to see if you're going to work out as his child? Did he do that with you there, Fernanda? No, Immediately. You gave your life to Him and immediately you received the Holy Spirit. All the Holy Spirit that you could ever have. You received all of Him. And now it's a lifelong process of you giving Him all of you. And the more you give Him of all of you, the more you can enjoy what you have in Him. And so immediately there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales. <laughs> and he received his sight at once and he arose and he was what? Now, you've got to understand what baptism was. It wasn't like last week where we just had people, man. Man, it was so awesome baptizing y'all. Did y'all see the pictures and the video? Oh, my. Talk to Jay. Yeah. Dude, it's on Facebook. It's on the website. I don't know. It's all over the place. Well, man, I so somebody, I banged their head really bad on the sandbar. It wasn't you guys, was it? Yeah, dude. I thought I knocked them out, man. I'm like, yeah. They woke up like this. No, I'm just joking. But. Man, it wasn't like that where they're getting baptized. Yeah, and everybody's clapping. When you got baptized back then, you were committing. You were telling everybody, I now stand for Christ. And if Paul was still Saul and somebody got baptized, they were getting killed. So now imagine what it was like for Paul to get baptized. How about all the people that had followed Paul 
that had followed Saul that got on his bandwagon and he had to tell all of them, I was And that's what he was telling them when he got baptized. He's saying, I'm now, I believe in the resurrected Christ. I swallow all my pride and I am now getting baptized and I, everything I have belongs to Christ. I am his and he's mine. Man, imagine what that was like for Paul who just the day before had all kinds of followers behind him. Man, isn't that when it's hard? When a bunch of people believe in you and you have to say you're wrong? <laughs> so he arose and he got baptized. Two more verses, we're done. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Most people say that was because he was in a Baptist church. and they, but, no, just, but he could have been driftwood. He received food, he was strengthened. And, and who, who gave him food and strengthened him? Was it the people who were on his bandwagon before? No, no, they're trying to poison his food. It was the body of Christ coming in and bringing him love, taking care of him, and strengthening him, encouraging him. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. But here's the two, and we'll pick up from here on out. And uh, next, two things that are going to be common in our life for us to say. And we got to say it. And sometimes that first one's hard because we're just tired. We had to say I was wrong yesterday about the same thing. You ever get tired of saying you're wrong about the same thing? Don't get tired of it because just because you get tired of saying it doesn't mean it's right now. Do it till you believe it, till your life changes. So read these with me. One, Paul had to admit that he was, and Ananias didn't think God's instructions could be right, but they were. So two things are, got to say, I am yeah, everybody, the whole thing, because some of y'all are just like kicking in on the last part. You're still having a hard time saying, I am. You're saying, she is, after your breath, wrong. It's like, I want, I want you loud to say, I am wrong. Just get used to it, because you are daily, I promise. And that's how you tear that sin, the bricks of, of getting between you and God. Tear that wall down by just going to him daily. Many times a day, say, I'm wrong. And then when he gives you those instructions, you know, and you next time are going to have to say, help me out. You all, it's not up there, is it? Where is it? <laughs> you may remember the last one. <laughs> yeah, that ain't right, but it is. All right, so help me out again. You got the first one. I'm glad you got that one. First one again is, I. The second one is, that ain't right. And they're both equally important in your walk with God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, I'm grateful that you brought the people you brought today because this is the group you wanted to hear this message. Um, Father, I'm, I'm grateful that you've spoken to me about it first. And I'm grateful that um, we can all just come to you and say we're wrong. And you're not being surprised. Um, you're not being like, oh. I never thought you would do that, you know, but instead realizing that you love us perfectly. You can't love us more. You can't love us less. You can't love us more if we're obedient. You can't love us less if we're disobedient. You just love us perfectly. But in that perfect love, you want to correct us and tell us when we're wrong. Because when we do wrong things and believe wrong things and feel wrong things, we suffer those consequences and it hurts our relationship with you and you don't want that to happen. So Father, I pray that when you convict us that we're wrong, that we would take that blister 
and we would confess it before it turns into a callous. And Father, if some of us have some calluses right now, and we know there's things that are wrong in our life, but we've so convinced ourselves that you just don't, we don't care anymore, Father, I just pray through some spiritual pedicure or manicure, you would just rip those calluses off and give us a fresh start. Father, I pray we would have no problem admitting when we're wrong to you and getting things right. And Father, um, I do pray for each person here that you would give us jobs, you would give us ideas, you would give us things to do and be where our first thought is like Ananias and like, this can't, this ain't right. <laughs> this is not going to work out. This is not going to happen this way. Father, I pray you would give us things so supernatural that only you could do them and you, only you could get the glory. Father, I pray that um, we, like Ananias, would know in our heart that it's right and we would use faith that you give us to stay stuck to you, to watch you do supernatural things for your glory through us. So, Father, just help us remember these two sayings. I was wrong. That ain't right, but it is. And help us to surrender to you. And if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, and they don't know for sure they're going to heaven when they die, I pray you would give them a desire they can't refuse to just surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. By saying, I'm wrong. This ain't right, but it is. I feel like i got to work for this salvation, but I'm told that you've already done it. So I'm just going to trust you and believe you and let you show me that the salvation is done. Father, save someone today and help us submit to you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.